This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Tonight on The Readout. Under no circumstances, you are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except for? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, drill, drill. That's not not retribution. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps... We love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. The day one American dictator whose plans for a second presidency are right out of the playbook of Venezuelan dictator Nicolas Maduro. Seek vengeance against your opponents, muzzle the press, call off elections. Former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen joins me. Plus, New reporting on the almost 200-person witness list in Trump's Georgia election interference case, including Pence, Barr, and Bannon. But we begin tonight with a uniquely American tragedy. Another school shooting, this time at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Three law enforcement sources familiar with the investigation told NBC that at least three people are dead. This is not including the shooter. Of course, the number of victims could change as the extent of injuries remains unknown. The Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department said there is no more threat to the community and that the suspect is dead. They also said that one victim is in critical condition at a local area hospital. What we don't know are the who and the why, or whether there even was a motive. Their next press conference is expected at 8 p.m. East Coast time. The deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history also took place in Las Vegas in October 2017, when a gunman unleashed a rapid-fire barrage of bullets on the strip from his hotel room. The shooting claimed 59 lives and injured more than 500, including a music, attending a music festival on the ground below. That massacre occurred about three miles from where today's shooting occurred. And joining me now is NBC News correspondent Emily Ikeda with more. And Emily, uh, do we have any further information ahead of this press conference? Well, Joy, still very much and understandably so, a rapidly developing situation. We know this is an all-hands-on-deck approach. The FBI, ATF, U.S. Marshals, local police, campus police, all participating in this active investigation into what has claimed the lives of at least three people, according to police. We know another person is in critical condition. And also the suspect in this active shooter incident playing out earlier today is also deceased. What we've learned from authorities at this hour is they have been going from building to building and continue to do so over this large campus, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, 
clearing out the buildings and hoping not to come across more victims. And what they have acknowledged, the numbers at this point should be considered fluid at this hour. Just before noon, officers responded to reports of an active shooter situation near one of the instructional buildings. Uh, and they say that they engaged the suspect, the suspect who they say is now deceased. Students and professors describing the chaos and confusion on the campus, describing hearing the shots ringing out from what many have described as what they believe to be a high-powered gun. At one point today, campus police instructed people to, quote, run, hide, and fight, to give you a sense of just the sheer terror that rang across the campus earlier today. And now the investigation will shift into the why. What was the motive? It's something at this hour they do not know. Perhaps we'll learn more about the victims and the potential motive in this incident in an upcoming news conference. The mayor calling it tragic and heartbreaking. We're also hearing from President Biden, who described it as the latest campus to be, quote, terrorized by a horrific act of gun violence. This is a city, Las Vegas is a city that is all too familiar with mass shootings. Remember, uh, just several years ago, the city saw the worst mass shooting in U.S. history playing out just a few miles from this school along the Las Vegas Strip. Joy. Emily Ikeda, thank you very much. Let's bring in Congresswoman Dina Titus, who represents Las Vegas. Uh, Representative Titus, um, you just heard our reporter giving what we know, which is not a lot, but, you know, this run-hide fight <clears throat> admonition to students has become sort of a mantra that this generation, that young people uh, are, are supposed to just live with. It seems unacceptable to me to live in a country where what we tell our kids the best we can do is that when somebody decides to shoot up your campus, run, hide and fight. Your thoughts? Well, exactly. You know, I taught on that campus for 35 years and the shooting at Mandalay Bay was also in my district. So we have some practice, unfortunately, at dealing with this. And I think all the authorities did a good job. But you're right. We have a whole generation of college students who have lived under the cloud of my campus could be next. And so this is something that doesn't go away just because you're told you're safe and you can evacuate. It stays with you forever. Not just the people of families of those who are the victims, but of all the students and faculty and staff who are on the campus today. Have you had an opportunity to speak with local authorities or with any of these families to get some idea of, you know, anything about this shooter, whether this person was in any way connected to the campus or had there been any threats to the campus or anything like that? We've been in constant touch with the president's office, President Whitfield, and also with Metro there. But it's been a real coordinated effort with Metro and the FBI, the campus cops who immediately got out that message to run, hide, uh, fight. Uh, so we, we have updates as we go, but we don't know motives yet. I think that will be the next step of the investigation, looking through the social media, trying to find contacts, where he got the gun, that sort of thing. Are guns or firearms allowed on college campuses in Nevada? No, they're not. There are signs that are around that say you cannot carry a gun or weapon on the campus. But, uh, you know, we keep trying at the federal level to standardize some provisions like doing away with uh, fast acting uh, machinery, to do away with bump stocks, to do away with multiple ammunition clips. We just can't get it passed through Congress because the Republicans are bound by the NRA. So we just keep sending thoughts and prayers and people are ready for action. So some of the states have taken it up, some of them not. 
And we know that this uh, shooting took place not far from where the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history took place, about three miles away from this campus. And yet your governor uh, has vetoed recently gun control measures that would actually make it more difficult for people uh, to obtain firearms and adding some things that would add some age restrictions, et cetera. Um, what has the governor said? Have you had a chance to talk with him? And has he reconsidered, now that this state is home to yet another mass shooting, his position? Well, I hope he would reconsider. We need those red flag laws. The state legislature has been pretty progressive, but the governor overturned it. And public opinion in Nevada supports stronger uh, background checks. I was just ironically looking at the Washington Post magazine this weekend that had pictures of the shooting uh, um, at Mandalay Bay at the at the uh, festival there. And here it is happening again. It's just yeah. it's tragic. And what is the status of attempting to get some sort of federal legislation through? We know that the president has had to do some things through executive orders. There's not a lot of appetite to do gun reform, obviously, among Republicans in either the House or the Senate. Is there any hope that there's any amount of carnage? Um, we've now seen third graders, fourth graders, high school students, college students, you name it, people at parades, people in the store, uh, people in the movie theater, you name it. There's no place that's been safe from these tragedies and these uh, massacres. Is there any appetite among your colleagues to do something, anything about it? Well, we have a gun violence prevention caucus, and we have introduced this legislation and done discharge petitions calling on the leadership to release these for a vote, but we never get enough signatures. Just today, Schumer tried to get something through the Senate, and the Republicans shot it down. There's always a little flurry after an incident like this, and then it quickly gets forgotten. But I hope those organizations like Moms Demand Action don't let them forget. And remember, during the next election, who thinks this is a problem and who just wants to see it go away. Uh, you could say that again, because I, I think that is what people don't understand, is that the, the one thing that people actually can do in this situation is to vote for people who actually want to protect kids from getting shot right. at school or on campuses. Um, is this going to be an election issue in the next election? Is this something that the public is concerned enough about that they might vote to change who is representing them in Congress based on these massacres? I believe it will be because law and order is a big issue and protection of your children is certainly at the top of the list, especially among suburban women. So I think you will see this play out in the next election. You can't go anywhere. You can't even go to church and That's feel right. like you're safe. Indeed, indeed. Um, and with our, our great condolences for those who passed away or who were injured, yes. uh, who were harmed in your district. Congresswoman Dina Titus, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. And up next on the readout, don't worry, folks. Donald Trump says he will only act like a dictator on day one of a potential second presidency. Don't believe it. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. 
With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. On this show, we like to use the phrase, scaring is caring. And in the spirit of caring, I'd like to tell you the story about an authoritarian strongman who was elected to office and then decided that he just didn't want to leave. So he didn't. And that is the leader of Venezuela, Nicolas Maduro. Since taking power in 2013, Maduro and his regime have not only cracked down on protesters, jailed opponents, and muzzled the press, but have made it so he simply can't lose elections, no matter how unpopular he or his policies may be. In 2017, when faced with massive protests of Venezuelans demanding his ouster, Maduro called for a new constitution, claiming the opposition was trying to illegally overthrow his government. In February of 2018, he decided that the supposed election, which was slated for December of that year, was actually going to happen months earlier, in May. He then banned multiple opposition parties from participating, making himself the winner which appears to be something he's trying to recreate ahead of next year's quote-unquote election. Once again, banning top opposition leaders from running, including the leading candidate, who was, barred from, who was barred for alleged political crimes. And what is Maduro doing instead of giving the Venezuelan people the power to vote him out? Well, he's trying to invade Guyana. Over the weekend, Venezuelans approved a referendum called by Maduro to claim sovereignty over the oil-rich area of Guyana called the Essequibo region, arguing it was stolen when the border was drawn more than a century ago. Now, these stories don't often get told in American mainstream media, but it is important that we pay attention. Because right now, we are getting dangerously close to seeing a very similar scenario play out here in the United States, as Donald Trump inches closer to the Republican nomination for president. Trump and his allies have made clear that if reelected, his entire agenda will be focused on ridding the government of all democratic safeguards so that he can go after political opponents and anyone he deems disloyal and probably stay in office until nature takes its course. But last night, he took it one step further. At a friendly Fox town hall, Sean Hannity actually asked Trump whether he would abuse his powers to seek retribution. And Trump did not deny it. Under no circumstances, you are promising America tonight you would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except for? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, drill, drill. That's not not retribution. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps... We love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. But Ben Hannity didn't see that coming. Trump may have tried to play it off as a joke, but if you've heard anything he said in the past year or two, you know he's not kidding. And it's not just him. It's also the sycophants he surrounds himself with, like Steve Bannon and Cash Patel. Uh, Cash, I I know you're probably going to be head of the CIA, but do you believe that you can deliver the goods on this in a pretty short in a pretty short order of the first couple of months so we can get rolling on prosecutions? 
Yes. One thing we learned in the Trump administration, the first go around, is we got to put in all America patriots top to bottom. We will go out and find the conspirators, not just in government, but in the media. Yes, we're going to come after the people in the media who lied about American citizens, who helped Joe Biden rig presidential elections. We're going to come after you, whether it's criminally or civilly. We'll figure that out. But, yeah, we're putting you all on notice. You better believe that if Trump's reelected, those two will be top members of his administration. After the break, I'm going to talk to someone who knows a thing or two about being a footman for Donald Trump. Michael Cohen will join me next. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Donald Trump claims he'd only be a dictator on day one of a potential second presidency. But a trusted advisor from his first term, Cash Patel, is already drawing up plans to go after his political enemies. And a potential second-term attorney general, Mike Davis, has already vowed to throw Trump's enemies in a gulag. Joining me now is Michael Cohen, Trump's former personal lawyer. He's now the principal of Crisis X. He's also the host of the Mia Culpa and Political Beatdown podcast and is the author of Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the Department of Justice Against His Critics. Michael, it is good to see you. Uh, I'm glad to get a chance to talk to you because you're one of the few people who's actually experienced being thrown in jail at the behest of Donald Trump. If you could just remind us of how that went (laughs) down. You wrote you wrote a book. He didn't like it. And then what happened? Yeah. Then what happened was I was lured down to 500 Pearl Street, where I was asked to sign a document that was designed specifically for me that violated my First Amendment constitutional right. I was not permitted to speak to media. I couldn't write the book. I couldn't publish the book. I couldn't do work on movies. I couldn't speak to the press. It was a complete and total gag order. Well, when myself and my friend, uh, who's a lawyer, Jeffrey K. Levine, turned around and said, hey, this is like a little overbroad and unconstitutional violation of my First Amendment right. They had three marshals waiting outside for me uh, who ultimately uh, remanded me handcuffed and shackled and remanded me back for another 16 days of solitary confinement at FCI Otisville. So I am the very first political prisoner held by this country because I refuse to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. And I've been yelling this from the rooftop now for three years saying if they could do that to me, imagine what they can and will do to you. And unfortunately, we're at this uh, point right now in American history 
Well, the thing is, is that, and, and I ask you that to start off because I think that people don't take, they still don't take Trump seriously. When he says, I'll only be a dictator on day one, people in the audience laughed. I noted also that when he said, I'll close the border and drill, they cheered. But the first thing that they did was when he said, I'll be a dictator on day one, someone in the audience screamed, yeah. And people in the audience seemed happy about it. So do you feel that at this point, it's, it's one of two things. There are either people in this country who actually crave a dictator Trump and a president for life who is Donald Trump, or they just don't believe he'll do it. <laughs> either way, it doesn't really work. First of all, if, if he's going to be a dictator on day one, rest assured, I know him better than almost anybody he won't be a dictator on day two. He will be a king. He will make himself into the Fuhrer and he will make everybody raise their hand and salute him. You know, Heil Schittler, because that's what he is. That's what he wants. He is an autocratic wannabe with autocratic tendencies. You know, I brought that lawsuit against the United States government simply because I am afraid and I have said this in both in my book, Revenge, publicly on this show with you, Joy. If they did it to me, imagine what they're going to do to you. He's already told people he's going to shut down this station. He wants to jail your president's CEO. He wants to execute Joint Chief of Staff Mark Milley. He wants to, you know, uh, execute uh, Mike Pence. I mean, he's got a hit list of people. He wants to throw everyone into Gitmo. I mean, this is... It, it's hard to imagine that we're even having this conversation. This is exactly what our forefathers feared hundreds of years ago, that this would happen. And another thing that Donald has told us, again, this isn't me saying it, Joy. It's not you saying it. It's not Liz Cheney saying it. It is Donald Trump saying it when he says on the first day he wants to rewrite the Constitution. Seriously, he wants to strip the power of the judiciary and the legislature and confer all power to the executive branch. Again, that means to him, he wants the military to sign a loyalty oath to him. He wants the 15, 1600 people that will work for government in the transition team to sign a loyalty oath to him. The only person that asks for loyalty and in, in especially in a loyalty oath is a dictator, a supreme leader, a monarch, a fuhrer. And the reality is, is that that was literally done in Venezuela, where Nicolas Maduro rewrote the Constitution and the laws to make it illegal to run against him, to throw his opponents in jail, to shut down the media. This has happened in our hemisphere, and now he wants to invade Guyana because he wants to grab an oil region for himself. Let me read some polls to you. PRI, Public Religion Research Institute, probably the best pollster out there, they asked about support for authoritarianism in the direction of the country. All Americans saying, Republicans, 48 percent would support an authoritarian in response to the direction the country is going. 38 percent of independents, even 29 percent uh, of Democrats. PRI survey is political. Political violence might be necessary to save our country. A third of Republicans said yes. 23 percent overall said yes, political violence might be necessary. Can you just sort of explain to people as somebody who knows Trump personally who knows the kinds of people who are around him, how realistic it is that Donald Trump would use violence to get into, back into office and to stay in office for life. 
He'll do whatever it's necessary for him to take power. He will do whatever is necessary to get back into office, plain and simple. You know, whether it's through the usage of military or some other uh, nefarious way, he will do whatever is necessary because with Donald, it's all about winning. Despite the fact he's not winning, he hasn't been winning for several years now. Um, that's, that's his goal. He sees winning the White House back as the only means for him to stay relevant in order to be the rich businessman, the, the powerful businessman, the president of the United States. This is all that is on his mind. That's all that he's thinking of. He wants to use the presidency of the United States as a get out of jail free card. And the reality is he's surrounded by not just people like Cash Patel, not just people like uh, Steve Bannon, who has his own designs on being the apparatchik to a dictator, um, but people like Kevin McCarthy, who's now leaving. He's leaving the Congress. But before he left, when he was actually the Speaker of the House of Representatives, this is somebody who presided over taking the non-red and pink M&Ms out of Donald Trump's bag of not M&Ms, of Starbursts, because he knew Donald Trump didn't like them. He had no dignity. You can see him there going to bend the knee to Trump after January 6th. So somebody, a normie like Kevin McCarthy, would be willing to bend the knee. Can you think of any Republicans who would resist if Donald Trump got in and then said, you know what, we're just not going to have the next election, I'm saying? Yeah, I think uh, certainly Chris Christie. Uh, I think there are plenty of Republicans that do not want to see the United States um, lose its constitution or democracy. I can't imagine that there's an American out there that wants an authoritarian uh, ruler in you know, running this country. It makes absolutely no sense. It's what makes America great. Not Donald Trump, not authoritarianism, but our democracy and the Constitution. I mean, it's the second greatest document ever written to, you know, the, uh, you know, to the Ten Commandments. I mean, come on, let's be serious. That is the most important document not just for the United States, but for the whole world. I've said it a million times. If you have a strong America, you will have a strong world. If you have a weak America, you will have a weak world. And, you know, you used, um, uh, I forget which country that you used as the example. I always use Russia because that's what Donald wants to be. Now, they may have their constitution and they don't want to call themselves an authoritarian country, but that's exactly what it is. And what's happened to people like Navalny? Anybody that crosses Putin either ends up in prison or somehow, for whatever the reason, jumping out of a window. This is exactly what we're all going to be experiencing if, God forbid, a million times Donald Trump returns to the White House. And somebody who would know very well because he knows Donald Trump, Michael Cohen, uh, thank you very much. We always appreciate your time. Up next on The Readout, after testifying to the grand jury in, in the special counsel's probe into efforts to overturn the 2020 election, Mike Pence may now have another court appearance to prepare for. Details on that when The Readout continues. Despite what the former president and his allies have said for now more than two and a half years and continue to insist to this very hour, the Georgia election was not stolen and I had no right to overturn the election on January 6th. 
For four years, former Vice President Mike Pence acted as the obedient, bobble-headed sidekick to Donald Trump. Until the very end, when to Trump's dismay, Pence would not go along with Trump's final attempt at holding on to power during the certification of the electoral votes. Over the past year, though, his failed president, uh, the year, though, through his failed presidential run, we've heard Pence criticize his former boss. Now, a Georgia, a Georgia jury may have the chance to hear from Pence themselves. He has reportedly been added to the witness list in the Georgia election interference case against Trump. That's according to CNN, citing multiple sources familiar with court documents that remain under seal. And unlike in the special counsel's federal election interference case, Pence has yet to testify under oath as part of the Georgia case. And late today, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported that in addition to Pence, others on the almost 200-person witness list include former Trump Attorney General Bill Barr, former Trump Acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen, former Trump advisor Steve Bannon, as well as Georgia's top Republican leaders. Joining me now is Paul Butler, former federal prosecutor and professor at Georgetown School of Law, and Glenn Kirshner, former federal prosecutor and host of the Justice Matters podcast. Both of my guests are MSNBC legal analysts. I got to get a law degree to hang out with y'all. Y'all all got a law degree. Let, let's, let's start with the significance of Pence being a witness. So... There are pros and cons to calling him as a witness. Um, He will strongly push back against Trump's big lie. It's not just the credibility he has as former vice president and a Republican. It's also that he was on the same ticket. He lost the election just like Trump did. So his presence will signify to the jury the importance of the peaceful transfer of power. So I think that that's huge. It's going to be a strong rebuke to the former president sitting over at the defense table. There are some cons, though. Uh, First of all, as far as we know, uh, we know he wasn't in the grand jury in Georgia, right. and we don't know whether Finding Willis has interviewed him. So she doesn't really know what he's going to say. Why is that significant is it took him a while to come around to the big lie. Reportedly, he said to federal prosecutors at first he had all of these questions. Yeah. It wasn't until his son, a United States Marine, said, Dad, yeah. you have to stand up for the Constitution uh, that he came around. So, again, he could be subject to a really tough cross-examination. But I think the point you make that he had a self-interest in the big lie because he himself would have remained in power. Let me really quickly play some of what Donald Trump has been calling uh, poor little Mike Pence. So as I was dropping off the note, um, I, I, my memory, I remember hearing the word wimp. Either he called him a wimp. I don't remember if he said, you are a wimp, you'll be a wimp. Wimp is the word I remember. It was a different tone than I'd heard him take um, with the vice president before. The word that she relayed to that the president called the vice president. I apologize for being impolite, but do you remember what she said? Her father called him the P word. Mm -hmm. Uh, Does I mean, Mike Pence has been through a lot with Donald Trump. He did try to kill him. Uh, He did try to have Pence killed by by a mob. So does he, if you're Fonnie Willis, what kind of witness is he? I mean, because of the point that Paul made, he did go along with it. He had to ask a former vice president if he was able to do the steal the election thing. Is he a witness that you'd want to put on the stand? Um, only if I had to. But, you know, there's one important piece that he brings, and it has to do with Donald Trump's criminal intent. Joy, we are forever talking about we need to prove Donald Trump's criminal intent. I only wish I had one one hundredth the amount of evidence <laughs> in the cases I prosecuted of criminal intent. But here's the important piece that Mike Pence brings. Mike Pence not only brings a criminal act. Right. Why? Because he said Donald Trump was relentlessly pressuring me to do something I told him I wouldn't do. I would not violate the electoral 
count act. There's the criminal act, right. the illegal pressure. But Mike Pence also brings the criminal intent because he said, you know, Donald Trump said to me when I refuse to buy into his criminal scheme, you know what your problem is, Mike? You're too honest. Too honest. Yeah. What does that do? It tells us, it puts us inside Donald Trump's head, not a fun place to be, but <laughs> he knew that what he was asking Mike Pence to do right. required dishonesty, right. criminal intent, prove. Yeah, there's another piece here because one of the questions that we've always had, and I think we've talked about this uh, in all of our conversations, is whether or not you can tie Trump to the actual violence, right? Whether or not Trump and the violence are directly connected or whether it's just sort of inferential. I, I want to play this for you guys. Um, so or, or, let me read it to you first. So Donald Trump um, encouraged rioting after the 2020 election. The, Repu- the, the Department of Justice, and we're going to switch to the, the DOJ case, Attempts uh, plans to argue at the trial. Prosecutors plan to introduce text messages between a Trump campaign staffer and a campaign attorney who was at a vote counting site in Detroit, Michigan, in which the campaign employee allegedly encouraged rioting and other methods of obstruction when he learned that the vote count was trending in favor of Joe Biden. Let me play one of the reports that we played on MSNBC on November 4, 2020, outside the vote counting site in Detroit. Take a look. An increasing mob-like scene of self-proclaimed poll watchers who say that they want to get access to the building. So many of them have rushed into the building here that I'm actually talking to official Democratic poll watchers from the Democratic Party who've been shut outside of the balloting room, which they are supposed to have access to. Eamon, it's gotten to the point where we do have a police presence here that is blocking access to the building because not only have they swarmed the room, but they are now over in terms of COVID restrictions. That was the great Heidi Prisbola, um, our reporter at the time. So this shows that Donald Trump has a propensity, yeah, to encourage rioting in order to win an election. The same thing happened in Arizona as well. And that's what Jack Smith said in his most recent filing. So he didn't charge incitement or anything related to the violence of the insurrection. But Trump's rhetoric has always been at minimum violence adjacent. So federal prosecutors say that they want to demonstrate Trump's motive and attempt that he has motive and intent that he has this established pattern of harassing and intimidating people who he perceives as enemies. We know that he did this with election workers in Georgia. Mm-hmm. He sent this shout out to Enrique Tarrio, who was convicted of seditious conspiracy, that he was being treated poorly by the uh, legal system. He's been very sympathetic to the insurrectionists who uh, injured police officers and were responsible for five people dying. And so this is a way of reminding jurors, A, what the stakes are, and though he didn't charge, again, anything specifically related to Insurrection Day, that was part, the violence was part of the whole program to keep Trump in office by any means necessary. Right. And the, and the thing is, what was interesting in that filing is that they go into the stand back and stand by comments that he made about the Proud Boys during the debate. They even go into the song, the, the, you know, the sort of American anthem that he plays at his rallies, really trying to say that he was an encourager and inciter of these violent forces. Yeah. And I think the most important evidentiary nugget in that new Jack Smith filing was what you mentioned. There was a Trump campaign staffer and a Trump attorney who had their feet in the ground, on the ground in Detroit. And Jack Smith said, you know what? The campaign employee who was sending these text messages is a co-conspirator. Bingo. That's the magic word because co-conspirator liability says any statement made. 
by any co-conspirator can be introduced as incriminating evidence against another co-conspirator. So those text messages, hey, Joe Biden is trending in Michigan. Let's get our riot on. That's admissible evidence against Donald Trump as a co-conspirator. Well, then I still don't understand why he's not charged with seditious conspiracy. I know I'm not a lawyer, but if if he is part of a conspiracy in which multiple people are convicted of seditious conspiracy who actually led the violence, why ain't he charged with it? Can somebody explain to me? Why ain't he charged with it? I can't explain. I mean, I, I know it raises First Amendment issues that are not raised by the four counts that Jack Smith chose to include in the indictment. Yeah. But I think he would have won those issues. Really? Enrique Tarrio was not even physically there on January 6th. He got charged with it. Yeah. 22 years. It, it would have been riskier. Again, the first federal prosecution of a, a former president. I think Jack Smith wants to go with the case that he's pretty confident that he can win. Yeah. He would have been subject to all kinds of uh, political and First Amendment objections, which I think at the end of the day he could have overcome. But this is short and he hopes sweet. It's four counts, one defendant. This trial will happen. You think it will? Before the election. Before the election. If Judge Chuckin has anything to do with it, yeah. it will happen. You know which one ain't going to happen? That Florida case, which to me is the easiest case to prove, right? He had the stuff. He said, I had it. I got to keep it. But we it get him convicted in the, uh, in the March 4 trial. Yeah. And you know what? Let the Florida case take a backseat. Really? Oh, yeah. One felony conviction of a yeah. former president. You know, just get, that, get, that's get going to leave a mark. Okay. Spoken like a true pro- prosecutor, just like convict him of something. Uh, I, I love having you guys on uh, together. Paul Butler and Glenn Kirshner, thank you both very much, gentlemen. And still ahead, civilians in Gaza are running out of places to flee as Israel's ground assault intensifies. Stay with us. Conditions are deteriorating in Gaza, with the Israeli military saying its forces have encircled the southern Gaza city of Khan Yunus, including the house of Hamas leader Yahya Sinwar, in what they're calling the most intense day of fighting since Israel launched its ground operation. Over 600,000 citizens have been told to evacuate certain neighborhoods in southern Gaza, but there's nowhere for them to go, with the United Nations saying today in a stunning statement that, quote, nowhere is safe also raising concerns for the safety of the 138 hostages still in Gaza. In a letter urging the U.N. Security Council to act, once again causing friction between the United Nations and the Israeli government, U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said Gaza is, quote, facing a severe risk of collapse of the humanitarian system. And without shelter or the essentials to survive, I expect public order to completely break down soon. Joining me now is Peter Beinart, editor-at-large of Jewish Currents, author of The Beinart Notebook on Substack, and an MSNBC political analyst. Peter, good to see you. Um, this is a, um, a, a, a horrific situation. What do you make of the fact that the UN is saying that it is a situation nearing collapse? It's, it's really hard to get one's mind around what's happened. First of all, Gaza was already one of the most crowded places on earth. It was already before October 7th, before the atrocious Hamas massacre and Israel's response. It was a place that had been consi- called unlivable by the United Nations. That's before. And now Israel basically went in and told everyone in the northern Gaza Strip to move out and reduced much of that to rubble, to move to half of that territory in the south. Now they're attacking the south and telling people to move to 
to the west to a place called Rafa. Now we find out in the paper today that Rafa is under attack Two, the con- 80% of the people in Gaza have been displaced from their homes. By way of comparison, in Ukraine, which shocked the conscience of the world, it was 25%. 80% of the people have been displaced from their homes. The consequences of this are going to haunt all of us for decades to come. And there is also the question of the goal. Uh, we know that um, hostages were released when the pause happened, since the pause ended and we're back to this active bombing and bombardment, zero hostages have been released. And let me play for you. This is some leaked audio of some released hostages who met with Benjamin Netanyahu and his war cabinet yesterday. And so the question becomes, what's the motive at this point? Um, we know that Yahya Sinwar is a target, but leveling the this refugee camp where he was born, it's certainly not going to help this woman get her husband back. No, many of the families of the hostages have 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 said that they want a negotiated solution to release their hostages, not this war. This war is not only not going to make the hostages safe, uh, it's going to create this, this destruction, this level of misery is not going to make Israel safe. We know that Hamas recruits its fighters from the families of people that Israel has killed. Just think about how many people now out of this devastation will become a threat to Israel. You don't make Make Israelis safe in the long run by producing this level of catastrophe and misery because you are producing hate. It terrifies me to think about what will come out of this destruction, not just for Palestinians, but for Israelis as well. And then how do we stop it? I know that you're working on a piece to talk about how this can actually be brought to an end because the political incentives for Netanyahu are to keep bombing and keep uh, causing massive destruction and death because he is now currently facing uh, the justice system in his own country for his his uh, the allegations that he you know abused uh, the campaign finance system, et cetera, uh, and for corruption. So his political incentives are to keep bombing. How do we end this? We need a long-term ceasefire and a release of all of the hostages. If Israel tries to run Gaza, it will be in a quagmire that will be worse than what America faced in Iraq and Afghanistan. The answer to weakening Hamas is to give Palestinians hope that they can achieve freedom through ethical means, by, by, but not by the way that Hamas did it. First of all, there are Palestinian prisoners like Marwan Barghouti who are in jail who are more popular than the leaders of Hamas. You could let them out and start to rebuild a credible Palestinian leadership. You could empower it by starting to remove some of these settlements deep in the West Bank from which settlers are terrorizing Palestinians. You could say there will be no normalization with Saudi Arabia that, uh, until Palestinians are free. This would give Palestinians a sense of a horizon of hope and a belief that if that, that, they're, that Palestinians can gain their freedom through ethical means. That's the way to ultimately weaken Hamas.
Yeah, Marwan Barghouti has been called by some uh, Palestinians, Nelson Mandela. Uh, let, let's also talk about some of the reverberations here in the United States. We know those three Palestinian uh, students uh, that were shot in Vermont. One of them is now paralyzed uh, for life. Um, and then we also know there's just been a uptick in not just anti-Islamic behavior, but also anti-Semitism in this country. There was a hearing uh, of some leaders of or some presidents of colleges in the United States who took uh, a tongue lashing from uh, Elise Stefanik and Republicans and also a condemnation from the White House for their answers regarding some of the language that's being used on campus. What do you make of what's happening in the reverberations here in this country? Look, I'm glad that people in power are concerned about anti-Semitism. I, as an American Jew who has Jewish children, uh, I'm concerned about anti-Semitism. But we should all we should be concerned about all forms of racism and all forms of hate. We've and, and, and the level of the acceptance of the idea of bigotry towards Palestinians in Washington, this the assumption that Palestinians don't have the right even to life, let alone to equality, that is also a form of bigotry. That's also a form of discrimination. So if we want to fight against bigotry and discrimination, let's also recognize the profound bigotry that exists against Palestinians among those same members of Congress who were preaching to those university presidents. Those members of Congress, the Republicans especially, don't believe that Palestinians have the right to live in freedom. They don't believe that Palestinians have the right to live in equality. They don't care one whit if Palestinians are killed in vast numbers. That's bigotry, too. What do you make of the administration's response? We're now seeing the vice president, Kamala Harris, singing a bit of a different tune, not so much President Biden. It's not going to matter what they say if they give another tranche of unconditional American weapons. Amnesty International has reported in that some of the potential war crimes using these 2000 pound bombs, these are American bombs. Benjamin Netanyahu is not going to listen if Kamala Harris and President yeah. Biden ask him nicely. The question is, are we going to send our weapons without any conditions to be yeah. used in this slaughter? Uh, Peter Beinart, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. That is tonight's readout. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD streaming audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.